listening to episode 15 of the Detector Podcast and our second interview episode here on the show. I'm your host, Scott Hickman, founder of The Detector, where I write about tech innovations in business, health, environmental tech, and more. In this episode, I'll be talking to Henrietta Moon, CEO of Carboculture, a startup dedicated to sequestering carbon using biochar. Hi, Henrietta. Great to have you on the podcast. How are you? Great. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Scott. No, it's great to have you here. So for people who haven't heard of you or Carboculture, why don't you tell me first about your background, what led you to creating Carboculture? Yeah, um, well, I've been a Sea Scout since I was six years old. So environment has been really part of me growing up uh, very closely in the woods, uh, out at sea. And um, through many hoops and... and um, coincidences I started uh, a couple of projects before um, some of them events in technology future technology some of them uh, movements like uh, women's programming and a company before and through a bunch of things I ended up at, at this program at NASA Ames Research Center in, in Moffett Field in California where I met my co-founder Chris Carstens and we uh, we were there in this three-month intensive program called Singularity University, um, which was running back then. And they brought in 80 people from all around the world to start solving some of the world's pressing problems by leveraging technology. And so we thought that climate is such an overarching theme that if we don't do something about it, a lot of other themes will also sort of uh, see some worsening. Yeah. And Chris was like... A, you know, tall, loud American engineer who had looked at all sorts of uh, all sorts of technologies, like from you know algae to to other sorts of ways to to alleviate the climate uh, issue or climate crisis. Um, but this um, technology, what we then started working with, uh, seemed to be the most elegant solution. So so that's why that's how we got started. Great. So yeah, you've always um, environment has always been sort of part of your journey yeah definitely i'm i'm finnish um orig- or like i am finnish <laughs> yeah. and and from from the helsinki area and so yeah absolutely i mean the sort of values of nature are very inbuilt uh in sort of the mother's milk here and uh yeah i'd say it's definitely been with me all my life yeah so why don't you tell us what carbo what carbo culture is all about? Um, why is now the time for your company to exist? Yeah, so so basically, what we do is remove we remove carbon from the atmosphere, and the way we do that is by upcycling or converting biomass into a stable form of carbon that doesn't re-enter the atmosphere for a thousand years. So, in other words. Um, this type of waste that we're using, like peach pits or nutshells or or uh, sawmill waste or something else, if you leave it outside, uh, it would eventually decay in about five to ten years max uh, and re-enter the atmosphere, which is a natural cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead of trying to capture the parts per million from the atmosphere ourselves, we just take that waste and we 
put it into very high temperature for a split second and, and turn it into carbon, which then stays stable. No microbes are going to eat it. It's not going to decay and basically stays out of the atmosphere for 1,000 years or more. And so it's it's a really nice way to kind of remove carbon from the atmosphere without needing huge amounts of energy and machinery um, in the actual capture part. Yeah, because I think um, what you say on your website is you're breaking the carbon cycle. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, kind of hacking it. Uh, I, yeah. I don't want to say breaking it because we are trying to help nature <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or sort of like uh, repair our, our mistakes uh, instead of trying to trying to somehow alter uh, the natural pathways, but instead kind of like leverage them to, to solve mm. these problems. So if I understand it correctly, you have quite an ambitious goal. Do you want to share what that is? Yeah. So, so our kind of like moonshot or our um, North Star goal is, is 1 billion tons of carbon removal from the atmosphere. And, and that's wow. one gigaton in it's it's an insane amount of uh, carbon and and hopefully in a few decades from now we'll have a handful of companies let's say 10 to 20 companies who could actually do that um, but right now the world is at perhaps total carbon removal capacity of maybe some millions of tons maximum so getting to a billion tons is really um, an insanity target but we need them because um, it's not enough to just avoid emissions at this point. It's very needed, but we need to both cut our emissions in half by 2035 and be able to remove up to tens of billions of tons of carbon from the atmosphere by 2050 to just limit limit mm. global warming. And um, yeah, that's why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, it's an ambitious goal, but without them, I mean, these ambitious goals, that's what drives us to, you know, do more. So it's, it's a great, it's a great goal. We wanted to, cause we don't have, you know, a lot of startups have, I don't know, monthly active users or, or something else to measure their success. So we just needed one clear thing to measure our success as a company. Like how far are we and where are we going to get to and yeah. how do we base our plans off? And I think that's why removing and storing the carbon is such a, like not just removing and then doing something with it that will re-emit it, but actually like, taking it away um is such a clear <laughs> clear thing mm, don't you also have uh, something called carbon credits to measure your yeah. sort of progress do you mind explaining what those are yeah so so um carbon credits have been around for a while and the the europe for example and california have a sort of emission trading system that's you know cap and trade or or, or emission trading that's kind of regulated uh, or it is regulated and yeah. for certain entities like really polluting industries they have a an allowance of emissions um and there's been some problems with that but but um but that's fine the the price is also going up there quite a lot but we are in the voluntary market still today and the voluntary market is any company that wants to you know um do some good because of the emissions that they've uh, they've made or potentially even remove those emissions. And so the voluntary market today is 97% carbon avoidance. So essentially when you buy an offset, you might be um, helping green energy come online or 
uh, protecting a forest. All of these are important, by the way. Yeah. But but then there's a subset, just three percent of the market today, or some something like this. I don't have the newest numbers. Um, that's carbon removal. So actually, physically bringing the carbon atoms down from the atmosphere, and that can be new forest planting where it wasn't before, or it can be mechanical removal. It can be mm. um, some some other ways, or like ours, um, where we leverage nature to to actually bring the carbon down. Okay. And so, yeah, we get credits. <laughs> um, we we've just uh, last December actually, we got um, verified and audited. So so basically, we have to do a life life cycle assessment, like calculate all the transport and the source of the biomass and all sorts of things mm, yeah. into the life cycle and then we get an audit and a sort of a verification and then for each each ton of biochar or biocarbon that we produce as we like to call it um, we remove 3.2 tons of co2 from the atmosphere so it's, wow. it's we can weigh it we can send the carbon to the laboratory to see how much um, pure carbon is in there and it's a very exact um, mechanism that we can measure it with Okay. So yeah, um, before I wrote the article on um, carbon capture with biochar, I had never heard of biochar personally. So I think probably most people in the audience might not, or if they have heard of it, are not quite sure what it is. So would yeah. you mind sort of explaining the science behind biochar? Yeah, so so kind of like what comes to mind when, when people talk about biochar is the, is the soil aspect. So biochar has been around thousands of years people have used it for um, enhancing soil with with nutrient retention and, and water retention so basically when wood wood like biomass is turned into this kind of carbon much like charcoal um, perhaps a little bit cleaner than what charcoal is today um, it has a lot of surface area one gram of it can have you know 400 square meters of surface area so it's a huge amount of surface area for microbes and everything to populate it also it doesn't break down so there's no the carbon is not edible to to soil um mm. soil being so so basically it'll stay there and all of our soils around the world have carbon in the soil that is this type of pyrogenic carbon it's only lately that scientists have started understanding it as not because of humans it's because of historical forest fires that have deposited that pyrogenic carbon in the soil all right, so now humans also use this carbon um, in, in Central and, and South America thousands of years ago to, to help the soil quality become better. So basically mixing this carbon with nutrients and putting it in the soil actually helped the soil become more fertile. And this is what people think of when they think of biochar. And now there's been some studies lately, but um, people often often have dismissed it like, oh, it's been around for so long and it, and it didn't work. Well, there's there's more science needed um, in, yeah. in terms of our modern crop culture, but it's not like a magic bullet, uh, like some sort of a quick fertilizer that when you put it in the ground, crops go grow 30% more. No, <laughs> it's meant to be there for the soil health and, and for long-term stability and, and such. And it takes a lot of money to do that kind of research. But let's see. Uh, let's see where we get with that. But there yeah. are some some known benefits like uh, water retention, for example. That's that's very easy to to sort of measure and and nutrient retention and, and things like that. 
But the new thing about biochar is that it is also a way to store carbon. And so carbon removal is a very recent theme in this whole climate um, topic, at least, let's say, to to mainstream people or people like me. Um, Mm -hmm. People have been talking about climate change for a while, but really people have only been seriously interested in climate change for a couple of years, at least from my own kind of um, experience. And carbon capture is even newer. So only in the past kind of, let's say, year or year and a half have people started talking about, hey, we actually also need to remove carbon. And now... As we know, you know, forests and, and all biosphere remove carbon, but the carbon is only stored when the biomass is alive. So basically, if you have a hectare of forest today, it'll be a hectare of forest in 500 years if nobody does anything to it. And, and essentially, the carbon that's stored will remain the same. But if we actually remove the dead biomass from the crops or the forests or stuff like that and and put that into biocarbon then we can actually start sort of storing that carbon and banking it back into the soils and that's kind of like the thing that we're doing we're not proposing to cut all the forests or anything crazy like that that's not what we're um, proposing but it's a great way to to use that capture mechanism to actually store it and another thing is you don't need to there's no massive infrastructure needed for storing. Uh, you just leave it in the soil and it mm. will store itself. And, and that's another kind of advantage. Yeah, because it's true that um, sort of carbon capture is quite a new sort of subject that people are talking about when discussing tackling climate change. Yeah. But it is, I mean, I think quite a few studies have proven that carbon capture will become sort of essential to reaching our climate goals. Yeah, unfortunately, it looks like looks like that. Mm. I mean, we would be happy if we could make ourselves useless someday. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but for now, it seems that there will be a lot of carbon capture needed. And we really hope that other people in our industry as well get to scale because there's no way, even if we get to a gigaton, we won't we won't solve it alone. Uh, we need we need a lot of a lot of people doing stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, talking about carbon capture there's quite a few different methods for carbon capture like sort of direct air capture or capturing emissions that are being produced by factories mm-hmm. how does um biochar sort of differ from those other methods of carbon capture yeah i mean it's a great question and i think that many different types of carbon capture are needed so so you know there's not a one size fits all yeah like should we be should we be capturing the, the carbon dioxide that's coming off industrial facilities, for example? Of course. And biochar is not going to do that. Um, so, so we need some sort of uh, capture and storage and, and transporting those gases and, and et cetera, et cetera. So, so definitely that's needed. Or do we need um, not just carbon capture, but also utilizing methane or, or perhaps getting rid of some other greenhouse gases? Um, I think everything is needed today. Um, but if we want to like just strictly compare, you know, direct air capture or something like that to, to biochar, there are some benefits um, such as, um, you know, probably direct air capture would say, oh, but we don't need biomass to do this. Okay, but they need a lot of energy to, yeah. to actually do the capturing because for us, the, the energy part is kind of outsourced 
to solar powered plants and they capture the carbon for us and then we just transform them into into carbon and and our process is also um exothermic so basically we give off more more heat and energy than we need we don't need any heat in our process we need a very tiny bit of energy for computers and supporting supporting stuff um and so we can actually help the transitioning towards green energy sources instead of be taking away energy from the grid that's already struggling with getting towards a greener grid and that's why a lot of these like direct air capture companies are looking for places where they would have endless um renewable energy like mm. iceland where there's a lot of geothermal or or other places yeah. so so yeah but it does seem that the problem is so humongous it's really really difficult to understand what is a billion tons of carbon and we will need a lot of solutions yeah because that is sort of the the sort of big debate on whether or not we should include direct air capture is, is it actually using more energy than yeah offsetting than you know getting rid of the carbon yeah i think i mean everybody is gonna be wobbling in the beginning but then we need to see how is it gonna how is it gonna actually be after let's say five years after seven years like when that technology gets to some maturity and i do think that there will be we will come up with better solutions and so i'm like cautiously optimistic about some of these technological solutions like maybe mineralization or, or something else mm -hmm. um but we should keep an eye on like false positives in a way like enhanced oil recovery is perhaps the biggest biggest uh, carbon capture and <laughs> storage project today but it's used for pumping more oil out of the caverns yeah. so you know there's there's big questions there as well so uh i think it's not as straightforward as as we think um but yeah Absolutely. i do think that there should be a lot more resources going into kind of getting these technologies out of the labs and and getting them up to speed um let's say it's it's been very i mean we're we're active in the us and in europe and still the grants for any kind of carbon removal or you know anything to do with that um Maybe some people have gotten them, but but it's been quite quiet, I have to say. Yeah, and need for to wake global up. crisis, yeah, I mean, like compared to the coronavirus, of course, it's much more sudden, yeah, and and much more effective today. But we're kind of like slowly cooking ourselves here. So, so um, yeah, I think That's there needs to be a lot more action, and just governments even just saying, hey, we're going to purchase X amount of this carbon removal uh, from now until you know, 15 years ahead from now, that would already create such a market demand that there would be more solutions coming online if they could get these kinds of long-term contracts. And, yeah. and this kind of action is really needed. And that's where the voluntary market is stepping in now with the companies because there's not enough action otherwise. Yeah, I mean, if the government sort of wakes up a bit, that will hopefully push more people to innovate. Yeah, absolutely. So sort of coming back to biochar now, you've mentioned its benefits for the soil, enhancing soil, but yeah. um, you also mentioned how you're creating more heat. Is, yeah. that, is that another benefit to biochar? Yeah, so so kind of like roughly speaking of the, of the biomass that we use, um, we capture about 50% of the carbon in it 
into the stable form that won't escape for a thousand years. But about 50%, give or take, um, we, we give off as, as gases. And so at the moment for our next facility, we're actually going to turn those gases into hot water and pipe it over to district heating. So essentially, mm. instead of having a uh, biomass power plant or somebody um, grow their capacity by burning more wood, they can just take our excess heat and use that for their district heating. Well, that's great. And are there any other benefits to um, biochar than soil enhancement? And now you're sort of creating heat that you can then pump to other places? Yeah, I mean, there's there's uh, a lot of research stuff and it really depends on where you are and what you're trying to do. Like uh, for us, we have been looking at uh, water filtration as well, especially yeah. stormwater treatment or such that could be used in connection with soil in urban spaces. And there's promising promising results there that that carbon, certain kinds of carbon. Now, mind you, there's like a thousand different varieties of it, um, but certain types of carbon can potentially remove heavy metals or or other pollutants that are in in the rainwater when it washes through the city and then ends up in the sea. And so so that kind of stuff is really interesting. And another thing that we're looking at is um, how much um, how much of the nutrient leaching can the biochar actually stop? So, so can we stop some of the, the nutrients washing away with rainwater from the fields yeah. that, for example, in Finland or other places around the world, but the Baltic Sea is really, really, really um, not doing well because all of the phosphorus and nitrogen is running off from the fields. And as climate change gets worse, uh, we'll have warmer winters, which means more rain for us, less snow. And essentially, that'll help the erosion of the fields. And again, more nutrients will be washed into the sea. And so it creates all these nutrients in the sea, creates these um, deoxygenated zones that then start collecting this blue-green algae that essentially is toxic. Like last summer, we were sailing with some, uh, some scout kids, and I couldn't let them swim, even if it was super hot. And we were on a sailboat in the sea, but we were surrounded by this toxic algae. So it's like mm. it's it's quite it's quite a bad situation. Yeah, it's gotten um, that bad. Yeah, and it's not everywhere, and it only gets it gets worse when it's really hot. Um, but essentially, nutrient retention in the field, so we could apply less nutrients, have less greenhouse gases released from those nutrients, have less washed away into rivers. That kind of stuff is really interesting because you can have these co-benefits. And I think those are the reasons why, you know, biochar has potential for doing a lot of environmental good, but it hasn't really been kind of worth anything to us before. Yeah. And now we're thinking of, okay, how can we, how can we make that worth something? Like if you, if you Scott went into a supermarket and you had two products, let's say some grains or, or something. And the other mm -hmm. one said that it's been uh, soil friendly farmed would you pay more for that than for the other product? These kinds of questions we're thinking of. Well, I probably would. But I mean, not, <laughs> not everybody has that choice. But yeah. yeah, I mean, if confronted that situation... But it, it's I, enough I if there's would. a small fraction of the yeah. market sometimes to get it started. And also, yeah, we can 
we can think about what are the important things. Mm. And the more um, people that buy it, the more the price will come down to hopefully eventually it becoming standard. Exactly. So biochar sort of by and large is quite relatively new, but um, I mean, it does seem incredibly promising. Yeah, new and old. Uh, and I think uh, it's kind of like um, something something as old as carbon. I mean, it's we're all carbon. Everything mm. on our planet uh, is carbon. Can be, it's not the culprit. We just have too many, too much of it in the atmosphere, and we need to get it down and put it into use where it can be actually useful. And that's kind of like what biochar is doing. Yeah. So what? Um... What does the future hold for carboculture then? What can we expect to see next? Oh gosh, so many things. <laughs> uh, we're trying to grow right. our system. Um, so, so basically build a, build a larger system. We have an R&D facility working in California right now. That's about the size of a few shipping containers. So it's quite large already. It's pre-commercial yeah. stage. And we're trying to grow that. Um, and so we're kind of hunting down partners and, and doing all that legwork that needs to be done right now. And hopefully we can have a lot of these uh, working soon uh, all over the place. And we're growing our team. We're looking for really, really fantastic engineering talent um, that can help us. Uh, this is mechanical engineering and process engineering. And yeah, uh, yeah all sorts of things. Um, and hopefully hopefully we can we can have more uh capacity and partners and and things moving soon we're also doing a lot of interesting science so if you're a scientist and you're listening to this and you want to study something just uh reach out to us through our website uh we do work with with some scientists all over the place yeah so how perfect how, how about you um tell us where people can find out more getting get in touch with yeah, uh, you um, and public culture. Yeah, our website has a kind of like contact form and there's a researcher um, navigation as well. But uh, if you want to read about us, our medium is probably the best best place. So medium.com slash carboculture. Our Twitter handle is at carboculture. We'll, we're semi-active there. And um, or like we'll answer if you ping us. And also you can, if you have something very specific, you can email us at hello at carboculture.com. And last, last thing is that we have a Carbo Collective that's kind of like a newsletter right now, but we have been mm. gathering a sort of database of what kind of people signed up. Um, you can kind of volunteer with your skills a little bit there if you have something specific. And also if we have something coming to your area, we might reach out. So, so that's kind of like our our community okay and well, I mean, the links website. will be links will be in the show notes we also wrote an in-depth article about carboculture and biochar on the detector which will also be in the show notes so lots of things for you Great. to go and check out um thank you so much henrietta for joining me on the podcast Thanks, it's been really great it went so fast <laughs> i know yeah, yeah thank well, you. I mean, it's been so so interesting talking to you and learning about biochar and your company thanks for having me That was Henrietta Moon, CEO of Carboculture. To find out more about biochar and carboculture, you can read our in-depth article on The Detector, and you can also go and check out their website, link in the show notes. Be sure to check out their Twitter, at Carboculture, for future updates, 
and also follow us on social media at The Detector to be notified whenever we release a new episode. That's it for today's episode. We will see you in two weeks. Bye.